Uh, Open up in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, so in the evening, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along. And they used to sit down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. He began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. Seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood up, began to walk, entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified His servant Jesus. The One whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release Him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses on the basis of faith in His name. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith which comes through Him has given Him His perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. The things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that His Christ would suffer, He is thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that He may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward 
also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up His servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Last week in chapter 2, we read uh, that there was this sense of awe. Everyone who had become a believer in Jesus Christ, and up to that point it was what? Over 3,000. There was this sense of awe. And many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And, and immediately in chapter 3, Luke records for us one of those signs and wonders in, in a little bit more detail. Here, Peter and John going to the temple to pray meet a lame beggar whose legs are weak. They're floppy. They don't work. There's no strength in them. He hasn't been able to walk since he was born. He has to be carried everywhere he goes. People would carry him and set him next to this gate by the temple entrance and, and, and he would beg for money. He calls out to Peter and John as they're walking by hoping that they'll give him something. And Peter and John look at him which right now you know something's weird, right? Because if you pass a beggar, what's the one thing you don't do? Make eye contact, right? Not only do they look at him, but they tell him, look at us. He must have thought, all right, I'm going to get something here. But Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus the name of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior, in the name of that Jesus, the One from Nazareth, that Jesus, in His name, walk. And then, and then He reaches down to help the guy out because He's probably never walked before. And the guy stands to his feet. No, it says he leaps, right? He leaps to his feet. And he's jumping around and he's walking all over the place and he's shouting praises to God, filled with joy. And as, as Peter and John enter the temple, this guy is jumping and shouting and causing a scene, hanging all over them. A crowd forms there at, at Solomon's portico, and Peter uses the opportunity to again preach about Jesus. Look what he says. He says, listen, it's not our, it's not our power it's not our piety that's healed this guy. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It was faith in the powerful name of Jesus that's done this. And then Peter offers to heal them too, right? But, but not physically. Verse 19, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that He may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. So as we're reading through the book of Acts and we're seeing these different accounts of the signs and wonders that are performed by the apostles, what do we do with it? Like, What do we make of it? How do we understand these miracles that are performed? 
Why do the apostles seem to be able to perform miracles at will back then, but today all we have are these like charlatans that we see on TV? Are miracles and healing still a thing? And what I want to do uh, this morning is I want to do a little biblical theology of signs and wonders, miracles. And what that means, a biblical theology is just basically where you, where you look at the Bible as a whole to try and come to a theological understanding about a particular issue. So I want us to look at Scripture as a whole because it's, a, it's unified, it's coherent. And there's themes and patterns and practices that run throughout it. So I want to look at Scripture as a whole and what it has to say about the purpose and the use of signs and miracles. And I want to do all of that in like 20 minutes, so buckle up. I think sometimes when we look at the Bible as a whole, we think of it as being just filled with all of these people that did all of these miracles and Everybody had the ability to do uh, miraculous things. And, and it's certainly, no doubt, the Bible is filled with some amazing things that God has done. It's full of the supernatural working of God. It's kind of a book that's all about how awesome God is, right? But sometimes it feels like things were just so different back then than they are now. Like things aren't, they just aren't as miraculous now as they were then. But if we take a look at the flow of Scripture, what we see are these isolated pockets of miracles, usually associated with a particular person who's a spokesman for God. And the miracles, the signs, and the wonders are signs to others that God is with this person. <coughs> and we need to, we need to listen to what they have to say. And then uh, th- these spokesmen, they, they speak the message that God has given them to the people, and then they write that message down so we would still have it, so that it can continue on from generation to generation, even after the m- miracles are done. There's the miracle of creation that we see in Genesis 1.1. And then the vast majority of Genesis is just regular people living their lives. God shows up and God is guiding and He's directing and there's no doubt about that God is heavily at work in the lives of His people. People like Noah, yeah, God shows up there a little bit, right? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God enables Joseph to be able to interpret these dreams. But aside from that, there's really no person in the book of Genesis who's given the ability to perform signs and wonders. Largely, God works through the lives of His people in normal ways. And then there's 400 years of of silence, really not hearing anything from God, and the people of God become enslaved in Egypt. And then God calls Moses, right? Calls Moses uh, from a burning bush and says, Moses, I've got a message that you need to deliver. I've got something that you need to say. And he's going to use Moses to free his people. And he's going to give Moses the law that's going to establish these people of God for thousands of years. And Moses asks God, how are they going to believe me? What, what are you going to give me so that they'll know that I'm really a messenger from you? And God says, um... 
How about this stick? Here's a stick. <laughs> it's an awesome stick, right? I mean, it's a stick that can like bring water out of a rock and can part the sea and can turn into a snake. It's a cool stick. He gives them these signs and wonders to authenticate that he is a legitimate messenger from God. And there's a bunch of awesome supernatural acts of God surrounding Moses in his life. It's really the first person in the Bible who's given this ability to perform signs and wonders. And then Moses is given the responsibility after being the spokesman for God to write it down so that all of the other people of God after that would know exactly what God expects from them. And Moses writes it down. He writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And what future generations are left with is not the miracles. Moses doesn't give Joshua his stick. They're left with the message. It's never really about the miracles. The miracles were just there to authenticate the message, to make sure that the message was heard. Responsibility is to obey that message. And then uh, after Moses, there's a pretty good period of time where things are a little quieter. I mean, God is still no doubt present with His people, right? God still works and still acts and is still involved and is still guiding and is still leading. I mean, Joshua might not have had a stick, but God was present at that whole battle of Jericho thing, right? I mean, the walls falling down, that was God, clearly. God was there, present during all of those cycles of, of sin and rebellion uh, uh, and captivity and and repentance and restoration that we see in the book of Judges. During the time of the kings, God's clearly there. His Spirit and His presence is there on David as the anointed king. But the means that David uses to kill a giant isn't really supernatural. It's just a rock and a sword. And it's not really until Elijah and Elisha that we see these miraculous signs and wonders given again. God gives these guys a message. And He gives them these signs to authenticate that their message is actually from Him. And then again, what we're left with is the written record of what that message from God is supposed to be. And at that point, it's essentially, hey, listen, make sure that you're actually following God. Go back and read what Moses had to say. Don't have these false gods and these idols. Primarily, Elijah and Elisha's ministry was to try and get the kings back on track. And then that cycle continues through the prophets. And there's hundreds and hundreds of years of good kings and mostly bad kings. And God is still speaking through His messengers, through these prophets. But really, none of their ministries were marked by the same kind of miracles or supernatural things. Mostly, the ministry of the prophets is to call people back to obedience to God. And remind them of what would happen if they failed to worship God and stay true to Him. And along with that, God gave these prophets a picture of what, what was going to happen, what was coming, that there was going to be this anointed one, this Messiah, this Savior that would come. 
and rescue his people. And those prophets wrote down their message from God faithfully so that we would have it. So, as we look at the scope of the Old Testament, there are these these two occasions where God specifically gives the ability to do signs and wonders to authenticate uh, the message of Moses and Elijah and Elisha and, and to authenticate that their ministry is really from Him. And then the people write down what God had said and done so that it would continue on throughout history, even after the miracles stopped. Then, another 400 plus years of silence, right? The, the time between the, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Not a word from God. Now, God is still working during that time, right? I mean, there's no doubt that God's still there and He's still guiding the course of human history and He's still got a plan that He's accomplishing. But no inspired Scripture is given. And we don't see the same kinds of signs and wonders that mark the ministries of Moses or Elijah. And then, Jesus shows up. And everything changes, right? Jesus shows up healing the sick and driving out demons and controlling the weather and raising the dead and showing everyone without a doubt that the glory and the power and the, of God is right there with them, right there in their presence. The miracles that Jesus performed confirmed that He was from God. That the kingdom of God was at hand. That forgiveness and that salvation was there. Those miracles confirmed that message of Jesus that I am that promised Messiah that the Old Testament talks about. We know that's the case. Because there's one point where John, John the Baptist, who, like if anybody knew for sure who Jesus was, it would be him. But there's a point where he's unsure, where he doubts. He's in prison and he sends messengers to ask Jesus this question. Are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you really the Messiah? Because I kind of expected something different. Are you really him? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus responds by saying the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus says the miracles that I'm performing prove that I'm God. The the message And the messenger is confirmed through the miracles. Jesus imparts this authority to His disciples during His earthly ministry, at least to some extent, right? And they go out and do some of the same kinds of things. But the day of Pentecost is really where it changes, right? Day of Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit floods into these apostles. And the very first miracle is that they speak the wonders of God in every different language. All of these different people hear about what God has done through Jesus Christ. These these 12 men are going to be witnesses of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. They're going to spark something that is going to spread all throughout the world. They're They're going to preach this message of salvation through faith in Jesus' name and the authentication of that, the proof of that, the, the validation of the, the truth of that message 
are these signs and wonders that God gives for them to do. And, and the people watching understood that these apostles had been given this power and this authority from God. They, everybody knew it. If you skip down to Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says that the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. That must have been the place within the temple that they hung out. Like that was the, that was the Christian gathering spot. He said none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. All the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. To such an extent, they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. They recognized that there was so much power and authority in, in these apostles that they wanted to bring their sick out, lay them down, just so that Peter's shadow would pass by. That would be enough to heal him. That's how much confidence they had. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Oh, man, that is amazing. Every bit as dramatic as the Old Testament, maybe more so, more dramatic than the Old Testament. The Spirit of God fills these men, enabling them to do miraculous things for the purpose of authenticating that their message truly is from God. And then, just like the Old Testament, these guys write down the message that God had given them and all of the awesome things that God has done so that we would have it, so that future generations could read it and see just how awesome God really is. Our responsibility at the point in history that we're at right now is to read and understand and believe that message that God confirmed through those faithful apostles. And sometimes, I think what happens is we get hung up on miracles. Uh, but even, even back then, even right here in, in chapter 3, even with this awesome miracle that Peter and John perform, it's not really about the miracle. A miracle is just a sign pointing to the message, right? It's all about that message. The miracles that surrounded the apostles at the birth of the church were God's way of saying, listen to these guys. Listen to what they have to say. They have authority that's from me, and so you need to pay attention to their witness because it's true. And the responsibility of those hearing the message is to believe it. To believe the Gospel. And then to take that message and pass it on to others. What continues from person to person and from generation into generation all the way until Jesus comes back again is the message. Not necessarily those miracles. Those miracles God gave to the apostles serve their purpose and now stand as a lasting evidence of the reliability of this message that we've been given by God. 
just like they did with Moses, just like they did with Elijah and Elisha. And people would continue to point back to the awesome, miraculous, wonderful things that God has done that proves that this gospel message is true. We see a progression of things as we continue to process through the New Testament. The signs and wonders are performed here at the birth of the church and in the, the days that follow. And then even by the middle of Acts, the shift there's a shift away from the, the kind of the focus being on the signs to really being more about the message. And the last part of Acts that we'll we'll get to later on is really all about Paul's missionary journeys and the things that he does. Now God is still there, and there's still some awesome things that happen, but the the focus is the message. By the time we get to to Romans and and on, it's it's more about Paul and other New Testament writers pointing back to what God had done during that period of foundation in the church to prove God's greatness. Romans 15, Paul says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by, by word and deed, and the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the Gospel of Christ. He's talking about the things that God has done that have brought the Gentiles to a saving faith back here in Acts. In the same way, author of Hebrews points back to the miracles of the apostles as proof of the message. Hebrews 2, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, through Jesus. It's confirmed to us by those who heard th- those apostles. And God also testified with them, both by signs and wonders, by various miracles, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Really, aside from some uh, corrective words of Paul to the Corinthians, there's not a lot of discussion in the New Testament of these signs and wonders. It's clear that this was an apostolic ministry, served its purpose. And once the message of the gospel took root, it's that message that has the authority, the ability to change lives. We see as we're reading through the New Testament that Paul doesn't use his apostolic powers to heal the thorn in his side, right? He prays about it a couple of times, and God says, no, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have to deal with it. It's there for a reason. Paul, in writing uh, this manual for church practice that he writes to, to Timothy, doesn't say anything about uh, uh, healing or how to, how to use that. It's, in fact, really, he tells Timothy, uh, you got some stomach issues? Uh, drink some wine instead of just water. Medicinal wine. Apparently, that was a thing. Uh, I guess it could still be a thing. (laughs) So what does that mean? What does that mean for you and me today? What do we do with signs and wonders? Are they still a thing? Does Benny Hinn really have the ability to heal people just by hitting them with his coat? No. The answer is no. He doesn't. I believe that the, the purpose of signs and wonders here in Acts was to authenticate this message of salvation. 
And those signs and wonders were very effective in doing just that. They proved back then and still prove today as we have the Scripture that points out all that God has done. That this message is is true, reliable. So here's what we need to do. First of all, what we need to do is share the message. We need to share the gospel with everybody who needs to hear it. There is this God who has done great and awesome things. He has sent His Son to pay for our sins. And the proof that God really has worked is all the miracles that He performed. And these apostles who were witnesses, eyewitnesses of His resurrection. We, we have the evidence of how great and how wonderful and how good God is. We need to share that with those who need to hear it. Until the day Jesus returns, we need to continue to proclaim the wonders that God has done. The second thing that we need to do is be careful. There are a bunch of warnings that we have in the New Testament to be really, really careful. Jesus Himself says in Matthew 7, Many will say to Me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? And in Your name cast out demons, and in Your name perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus Himself says, be careful, because there's some who are going to get so hung up on these miracles and really have no connection with the message. They ultimately are serving themselves. And we'll we'll see an example of this given in Acts chapter 8 with a guy named Simon who wants to buy the Holy Spirit so he could use God to make money. So it's not something that we invented in our day. It's been going on for a long time. Jesus also warns about how these signs and wonders are going to be used during the end times. Matthew 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, uh, if possible, even the elect. And that is scary. How will we know? How will we know if someone's a fake or not? What we'll know by their message. 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you've heard is coming and now is already in the world. What's the message? Be, be careful. Jesus did not come to grant everyone physical healing here on earth. He came to bring spiritual healing. Be careful of anyone who wants to degrade the gospel by suggesting that Jesus died for your health and wealth. Third thing, 
we need to pray like crazy for healing, right? The Bible tells us that we need to be praying for healing. Does God still heal? Yes, God still heals. Absolutely. No doubt about God still heals. James 5, is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church. They're to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I love this, this last part here. Uh, James says, Elijah. Remember Elijah? He was able to do all those signs. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. James reminds us that God has the power to heal. That it's always been about God. Just like Peter says, it's not our power or piety. It's all about Jesus. Even for guys like Elijah. He didn't have special magic. He just prayed and God answered. We have that same God, that same power available to us. James encourages us. Elijah was just a dude like, like we're dude. I know he was different, but he was just like us. He prayed and God heard. We have the same God who when we pray, He hears. God still works miracles today. Amen? Praise God for that. Pray faithfully and fervently and then rest in God's perfect will. God, we thank You, Lord, for the signs and wonders that were performed by these apostles as evidence of the fact that You are a great and awesome and powerful God. We can trust fully that message of the Gospel proclaimed by Peter. Jesus died and rose again. That there is salvation in His name. That there's no more fear of death or separation from You, but now we're healed. We're whole. Spiritually made right because of the work of Jesus Christ. And God, I thank You that as Your children, we have this access to You that we can boldly come before the throne of grace and find help in our time of need. God, that we can pray to You, a God who heals and who loves, who still works miracles in this world. Thank You that You answer. Thank You that You love us. Thank You that sometimes, just like Paul, the answer is no. You need to go through this. We trust You. and We know that Your will is best. God, enable us to be able to faithfully share that message of hope and life through Jesus with those who need to hear it. Give us opportunities to do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.